Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Father, thank you for this wonderful anointed time of worship, Lord. Thank you, Lord, when our technology fails us, you never fail us, Lord. You're always here for us, Lord God. And we thank you so much for this morning, Lord. Bless your people, Father. Bless each one that's here from the youngest to the oldest. May you have something special for each of us today as we seek your face. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, if you'd like to open up to Isaiah 26. Isaiah 26, and we're going to look at verses 2 through 4. And I've entitled this message, Kept in Perfect Peace. Kept in Perfect Peace. Isaiah 26 and verse 2. Open the gates that the righteous nation which keeps the truth may enter in. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for in Yah the Lord is everlasting strength. Wednesday, this Wednesday, we will be looking at this entire chapter, verse by verse, the whole thing. Uh, so I invite you to join us this Wednesday night. Um, but just kind of pulling out a couple of verses here, primarily looking at verse 3, uh, about being kept in perfect peace. We are in a time of great turmoil in our culture today. There is a lack of peace. People are on uh, antidepressants and anti-anxiety pills all over the world. Because people are suffering from anxiety, they're suffering from fear, they're suffering from worries about what is to come and, and, and maybe what's going to happen. And uh, God tells us here that he will keep us in perfect peace if our minds are stayed on him. And so this is a key, really, and we're going to kind of drill down into this idea this morning, uh, but it really is a key for keeping yourself in, in perfect peace. The key is to keep your focus on God, keep your focus on Jesus Christ. Like the, uh, Peter's, the story of Peter walking on the water, as soon as Peter took his eyes off of Jesus, he sank. When he kept his eyes on Jesus, he did the impossible, he walked on the water. And so uh, that is an example for us that, you know, sometimes God calls us out uh, of our comfort zone. He calls us even out of the abilities and capacities that we have to do things for him, puts us in places that we couldn't have imagined us ever uh, achieving or attaining these positions. And we say, well, Lord, I, I don't think I could do this. I don't think I could handle this. This is too much for me. But if you were in the will of God and God has placed you there, if you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, he will help you to do the impossible. You will literally walk on water as Peter did in that sense, as long as it's what God is calling you to do. You know, we cannot control our circumstances. We can't control what happens to us. We certainly have no control over what other people do. The only thing we can control is how we react to that which is done to us, how we respond. And really, that is the fruit of the Spirit, which is self-control. And so if you want to have peace, you have to know the Prince of Peace. You have to be surrendered to Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He offers us peace that surpasses understanding. He is our shalom. He is our peace. And this is what we're going to be looking at here this morning. In chapter 25 and verse 4 of Isaiah, we read this. For you have been a strength to the poor a strength to the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shade from the heat. For the blast of the terrible ones is as a storm against the wall. In other words, God will be to you whatever your need is. He is the great I am. He is the one who will become to you whatever your need is. So as you seek God in the midst of your trials, your troubles, your anxieties, your fears, God will meet you in that place and God is sufficient to handle whatever problems come our way. 
Now, you may not be able to fix things on your own. And it may not happen the way that you want. It may not be the outcome that you desire. It may not go the way that you hoped it would go or prayed that it would go. But in the end, we surrender ourselves. We yield ourselves to Jesus Christ. We trust in the Lord with all of our heart. We don't lean on our own understanding. And he promises that he will make a way for us when there seems to be no way. So often we have false, unrealistic expectations. And when we don't get what we want, what we expect should happen to us, then we have a real problem with it. And the idea is, is that we need to lower our expectations in surrendering to the will of God and say, Lord, whatever your will is for my life, I will accept this. I will accept whatever you hand me, and I will try and be diligent and try and be a good steward of everything you've given to me instead of looking at what I don't have or looking what other people have, at what other people have and coveting what they have or thinking I want what they have, I want their life. Uh, no, God has given you your life. He's given you your gifts, your talents, your time on this earth. And he has equipped you and he will use you, but you have to surrender it all to him. In John chapter 14 and verse 27, we read this. John 14 verse 27. Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So this is Jesus, this is God in the flesh, God incarnate, the word incarnate, the word made flesh who dwelt among us, God, the very perfect one who's telling us this, he is saying Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. See, the world gives peace, but it's conditional peace. It's usually when you get what you want, then you have the peace of the world. And this is not that way. This is the peace that surpasses understanding. This is the peace that comes directly from God. And Jesus was about to go to the cross and to die on the, uh, on the cross for the sins of the whole world. And yet he, he still had peace. Because he was in the will of his Father. And he said, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. He offers us his shalom, his peace. And he is the Prince of Peace. Only Jesus can give you peace. In John 16 and verse 33, Jesus said this. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And so the key is, Jesus says, the key is, is that you're trusting in me. The key is, is that you are seeking me, that you're putting me first. He says, in me, you will have peace. So in Christ, in Christ Jesus, you will have peace because he is the Prince of Peace. And he lives within you and you are in him spiritually, mystically. We are part of his body. He's in us through the Holy Spirit. And so he's telling us, in this world, you're going to have problems. So when you have problems, don't cry out against God and say, oh God, why am I having problems? God tells you you're going to have problems in this world. Expect it. Again, you can't control the problems or the things that happen to you or the things that other people do to you. All that you could control is how you respond to the things that happen to you. And that is absolutely true. It's true maturity when you see somebody tested, you see somebody who's broken, you see somebody who's crushed, and their faith remains strong, then you know that is real, it's true, it's authentic, it's genuine. So many times when things don't go our way, all of a sudden we shake our fist at God and we begin to feel sorry for ourselves and say, oh, woe is me, what a, you know, what a pitiful thing has happened to me. And the key is we have to get our eyes off of ourselves we have to put our eyes on Jesus and get back on track. Lord, what is it that you're trying to teach me? What is it that you want me to learn? What is it that you want to show me through these trials? The key is that your mind is stayed on Jesus. In me, you will have peace. He will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on Jesus, on thee. He needs to be our singular focus. He needs to be preeminent, the most important person in our lives, number one. 
He needs to be our master passion. He needs to be our object of worship, the focal point of our lives, you see. And when this is true for you, then you will have peace no matter what happens to you. You will have the peace of God in spite of your circumstances and your surroundings. In the book of Psalms, in Psalm chapter 3, we read this. And I'm going to read some scripture to you. You can try and keep up with me or you could jot these down and look them up later. Uh, Psalm chapter 3, verse 3 says this. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice and he heard me from his holy hill. I lay down and I slept. I awoke for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people. And so as David the psalmist was fleeing from his rebellious son Absalom, who was trying to take over the kingdom from him and kill him. This was a psalm that he wrote in this time. David knew a lot about adversity. David knew a lot about struggle. Some of it he brought upon himself because of his own bad decisions, his sin. Some of it was just done to him because the devil hated him because he was God's man. But the key is, is that if you are looking to the Lord, he will be your shield. He will be your glory. He will be the one who lifts up your head. He says, I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. And he says, and then I laid down and slept. The world is still spinning on its axis, and everything is still orbiting around the sun the way it's supposed to. The seasons are still happening the winter, the spring, the summer, the fall, everything is happening because God is still on the throne. He is still ordaining the universe. So he's still in control. This little planet is the only place really where there's this open rebellion taking place. I suppose you could say in the heavens, rebellion took place before it was here with a third of the angelic realm rebelling against God. But really, you know, this planet is in rebellion against its maker. The people on this planet that God created in his image don't want anything to do with God. They don't want God's rules. They don't want his order. They don't want his commandments. They don't want to uh, be told what to do. And, and yet, God is still on the throne. He is still uh, there, seated on his throne. In Jeremiah chapter 29, we read this. Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me. And I will listen to you, and you will seek me, and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. This is a beautiful promise from God. He was speaking this to his children, the children of Israel, Judah, who were in captivity in Babylon. And God was telling them, I haven't forgotten about you. I still have plans for you. My thoughts for you are good, not evil. God has good plans for you. The world may hate us. The devil certainly hates us. Uh, our culture may grow to hate us, but God loves us. And that's really all that matters. He is the one whose thoughts are good toward us all the time. His thoughts toward us are peace. And he tells us, he gives us this promise. If you seek me, you will find me. When you call upon me and pray to me, I will listen to you. And so we have access to God in the midst of our troubles, he is always there with an open ear and a ready hand to save us. We just have to surrender to him. We just have to yield to him and we have to trust him. In Jeremiah chapter 33 and verse 2, thus says the Lord who made it, the Lord who formed it to establish it. The Lord is his name. Call unto me and I will answer you. And show you great and mighty things which you do not know. This is the God who created everything. The God who created the universe. Created you and me. Who keeps everything going. He sustains it all. He maintains it all. He holds our universe together. And he tells you and I. We are his people. He says, call unto me and I will answer you. 
and I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Oftentimes our problem is, is that we are not turning to God in the midst of our troubles. We're turning to man, and we're turning to man's solutions, and man's solutions cannot solve spiritual problems. Only God can help us with spiritual problems. God can help us with all problems. In Psalm chapter 4 and verse 1, back in Psalms, David said this, Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have relieved me when I was in distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long, O you sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? How long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood? But know this, that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly. The Lord will hear when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Verse 5, offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. Sometimes we just have to read the Psalms and read the promises of God out loud to ourselves to encourage ourselves in the Lord. David at one point had to encourage himself in the Lord. There was no one around him to encourage him. He had to take it upon himself to seek God, to encourage himself in the Lord. And then the Lord strengthened him and gave him victory. And he's saying, he's telling us here, God has set apart or consecrated the one who is godly. Know that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly. And so God wants us to be consecrated to him. He wants us to be set apart to him. He wants us to be holy. He's given us his Holy Spirit. And then he tells us, be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. So even if you're angry because, you know, Jesus was angry, overturned the money changers tables. I mean, anger in and of itself is not a sin. Uh, there's righteous indignation and righteous anger, but he says, uh, be angry and do not sin. Paul the Apostle says the same thing uh, to us in the New Testament. Be angry and sin not. Uh, meditate within your heart on your bed. Be still. Be still before the Lord. Meditate on the Lord uh, within your heart on your bed. Sometimes we lay in our bed at night and we just stew or we're so angry about something or we're so worried about things that are happening. It's three in the morning. We can't sleep. Our minds are racing. We're worried about what the governor is going to do next or what the economy is going to do next or what's going to happen next with whatever problem that we're facing. And the Lord is telling us, just meditate on me. Meditate within your heart on your bed. Be still. Be still and know that I am God, God would say. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness. And put your trust in the Lord. In Psalm chapter 5 and verse 11. But let all those rejoice who put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those also who love your name be joyful in you. For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous. With favor you will surround him as with a shield beautiful promises of God to his people let all those rejoice who put their trust in you let them shout for joy that's in spite of your circumstances that's not due to your circumstances happiness is an emotion you feel because you're happy because of your circumstances joy is despite your circumstances you have joy it's not simple happiness it is a deep-seated deep-rooted joy that comes from the joy of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, because we have the Holy Spirit who lives within us. And then we have this great promise that God will defend us, and those who love his name he will defend. In Psalm chapter 9 and verse 7, David says this, But the Lord shall endure forever. He has prepared his throne for judgment. He shall judge the world in righteousness and shall administer judgment for the peoples in uprightness. Verse 9. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. And those who know your name will put their trust in you, for you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. You see, this isn't that complicated. It's not rocket science. It's not brain surgery. You don't need to be a theologian to know the Hebrew and the Greek and the Aramaic to understand what God is saying here. It's very simple. He is a refuge for the oppressed. He is a refuge, our refuge in our times of trouble. And those who know his name, we will put our trust in him. Those who know your name will put their trust in you. 
because, Lord, you have not forsaken those who seek you. So the question today is, are you really seeking the Lord? If you don't have peace, then I would say you're probably not really surrendering whatever your situation or your problem or your trial is to the Lord. Because as we lay these things at his feet, our problems, our challenges, our struggles, our trials, the Lord is faithful. And the Lord is a refuge for those who are oppressed. And we could cry out to him and he will not forsake us in our time of need. He continues in verse 11. Sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Declare his deeds among the people. When he avenges blood, he remembers them. He does not forget the cry of the humble. Have mercy on me, O Lord. Consider my trouble from those who hate me. You who lift me up from the gates of death that I may tell of all your praise. In the gates of the daughter of Zion, I will rejoice in your salvation. Beautiful, beautiful prayers that we can cry out to God in the midst of our troubles. Have mercy on me, O Lord. Consider my trouble from those who hate me. Notice that he says he does not forget the cry of the humble. The humble. Oftentimes trials make us very humble because we realize I can't fix this. I can't solve this. I can't make this right on my own. I, this is bigger than me. I need God's help. And that's humility and that's where God meets us. In Psalm chapter 10 and verse 16, we read this. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations have perished out of his land. Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will prepare their heart. You will cause your ear to hear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, that the man of the earth may oppress no more. Again, it comes back to humility. It comes back to having a heart that is prepared. And, and we have to cry out to God in our times of need. And he tells us, he will hear us. You will cause your ear to hear to do justice for the widow, for the orphan, for the poor. In Psalm chapter 27 and verse 1, David says this, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this I will be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. Verse 8. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do you see a theme here? Do you see a theme? If you are struggling right now, you need to get your eyes off of your problems and put your eyes on Jesus. He is your Savior. He's your salvation if you're a Christian here today. If you're not a Christian, good news. You could become a Christian. You could repent of your sins, turn to Jesus Christ and ask Jesus Christ to save you and he will meet you. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says you will be saved. And anyone and everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so these are the promises of God to his children, to his people. He tells us here in verse 5, from the time of trouble, you will hide me in your pavilion. In this secret place you will hide me. And so this is who we seek. We seek the Lord in the midst of our challenges, in the midst of a wicked generation. Verse 14 of Psalm 27 says this, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. That's so hard for us to do so often. We don't want to wait. 
We are living in a generation of instant gratification where you get everything that you want by popping it into a microwave and it's ready in 60 seconds or maybe two minutes. Instant gratification. We're used to getting everything we want instantaneously. So it's very, very difficult for us to wait, especially for the younger people. They have like no attention span. And whether it's, you know, a good thing or a bad thing with the technology for the kids, it is the reality. Uh, they're used to getting everything that they want instantaneously. So it is very difficult for us to wait, but there is no uh, rushing God. You can't rush God, nor do you want to rush God. There are certain things that take time. You know, when a woman has a baby, it takes nine months for that baby to grow and to form and to be developed and to be able to be born into this world. Things don't happen overnight. Things don't happen instantaneously. Oftentimes, it takes months or weeks or years or even decades sometimes for the Lord to answer our prayers. And the key is, is that we continue to trust Him and we continue to wait on Him. In Psalm chapter 84 and verse 11, the psalmist says this, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Now notice here what he says. The Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. And no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. So if you are walking uprightly and God is not giving you what you're praying for, then maybe the thing you're praying for is not a good thing. Because he says no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. So the question isn't, well, why, why won't you give me this, God? The question is, is, are you walking uprightly? And if you are walking uprightly in a way to please God, then you could say, Lord, I trust that no good thing will you withhold from me because I am walking in a way that's pleasing to you. So you don't, you don't complain then about your unanswered prayers because sometimes... The prayers that are not answered is the answer to our prayers. It's just not what you want it to be. Because sometimes what we want is not the best thing for us. Or maybe it's just out of the will of God. That which we don't understand. Because God's plan is bigger than what we can see. God's ways are not our ways. His ways are beyond our finding out. As the heavens are higher than the earth. So my ways are higher than your ways saith the Lord, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Who knows the mind of God? All we can know is what he reveals to us. There are certain things we just cannot know. And then we have to trust in him. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Trust is belief or faith. We read in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 1. Now to the book of wisdom, the book of the Proverbs. Proverbs 3 verse 1, my son... Do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Notice there's a theme of peace tied in here to all of this. Peace will come. He says, let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so you will find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Often it's very simple. We just have to obey God and then things begin to come together for us. As we disobey God, things fall apart. It's just, it's just basic. He says... Don't forget my law. Let your heart keep my commandments. Uh, length of days, long life, peace. Do not let mercy and truth forsake you. So be a merciful person. Be a person who shows mercy to others. And then God will show mercy to you. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy, Jesus said. Uh, and truth. Don't let truth forsake you. Walk in truth. Speak the truth in love. Because God is truth and he gives us his truth and his word is truth. And then he says you will find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. But the key is, is you have to trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not upon your own understanding. There's certain things you will not understand that I cannot understand. Why do bad things happen? Why 
do children suffer? Why is there uh, diseases in the world that, you know, people die from diseases and they die from famines and these sort of things and earthquakes and hurricanes and tornadoes and airplane crashes and all of the terrible things, serial killers and all the bad things that happen. There's things that we just really can't understand except the fact that we are living in a fallen world that's in rebellion against God and God's will is not being done on earth right now as his will is being done in heaven. This is not yet heaven. So even though there are things that happen in our lives, in our world, that are terrible things, we do not blame God for that. We still choose to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and to lean not on our own understanding. Here's a real key here. In all your ways acknowledge him, he'll direct your path. So as long as you are acknowledging the Lord honestly throughout your day, throughout your week, throughout your life, God says he will lead you. He will direct your path. And again, Oftentimes, it's not in our time frame. God exists in eternity, and so there is no time in heaven. So for God, a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day, and we have such a hard time waiting. In the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 6, and verse 33, Jesus tells us this. But seek first the kingdom of God... And his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So Jesus is talking about the basic necessities of life. Food, drink, clothes, shelter, the basic necessities of life. And he told him, look at the birds. They don't sow or reap. And God provides for the birds. And he provides for the lilies of the fields. And aren't you worth more than Flowers, aren't you worth more than birds? Of course we are, we're made in the image of God. But he tells us the key. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all the other things will be added unto you. And so again, what is your part? Your part is to seek God. And then you rest and you trust in him. That he promises, if I put him first, that he is going to take care of everything else in my life. All the things that are concerning me. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7. All of this is there in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you? If his son asks for bread, will give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent. If you then, being evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Jesus is telling us. He's saying come to the Father and ask, seek, knock. And he's promising us that as you ask, as you seek, as you knock, you will find. The door will be open. You will receive. These are the promises of God that we can stand upon. These are foundational promises. If you want to have peace in your life, you need to connect with the Prince of Peace. Align yourself with the God of Peace. The flip side of this is that, you know, whatever you seek, you will find. And if you go seeking bad things, you're going to find bad things too. So you have to be careful with what you seek after, where you're uh, spending your time and your energies and what your thoughts are consumed with because um, you will find that which you seek after. In Romans chapter 8, of course, in verse 28, the beautiful promise of God. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. So this, again, is the same thing that if we're trusting in the Lord, if we're delighting ourselves in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. It's the same theme. It's the same idea God is telling us here. He's saying that all things are working together for good for those who love God, for those who are the called according to his purpose. So if you are here today and you love God and you are called according to his purpose, you can know that all things will work together for your good. That's the promise of God. It's not, well, is this going to work together? How could this work for good? How could all of this work together for good? It's not our job to figure out how it's all going to work together for good. Our job is to love God. And as we love God, he promises all things will work together for good for those who love God, for those who are the called according to his. So my part is to love God with all my heart, 
all my soul, all my mind, all my strength, and love my neighbor as I love myself, or as I love myself, yes. And, uh, and so then we know that we will have those things that the Lord wants for us. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul the Apostle says, says this in verse 14 about the peace of God. For he himself is our peace, speaking of Jesus, Christ Jesus. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of division between us. So he's basically saying that Jesus Christ is our peace personified. He who has Jesus has peace. He is our peace. You've heard that saying, no Jesus and no peace, K-N-O-D. Jesus, K-N-O-W, peace, uh, or no Jesus, N-O, no peace. So it's either you know Jesus, K-N-O-W, and you know his peace, truly, or you don't know Jesus and you don't know peace. No Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no peace. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 14, Paul the Apostle says this, But above all things, put on love which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule over your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You see, so it, it, there is a lot that we have um, influence over in our lives. There's things that we can do. We could seek the Lord. We could honor the Lord. We could live for the Lord. We could sing praises to the Lord. We could sing psalms and spiritual songs to the Lord. And then the peace of God will rule over our hearts. He promises to do this. If you're, you know, up again at three in the morning, you can't sleep, pray. It usually helps me to go back to sleep when I start praying. And sometimes I'll pray and pray and pray for everything I could think of for hours. Uh, and, and, you know, maybe God wanted me to pray at that time. Sometimes the Lord will wake me up and there'll be something on my mind that I don't even know why it's on my mind. I'll pray about it. The next day I'll find out that there was something that was happening in that person's life and they needed prayer at that time. And so just be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Listen to uh, Christian music in your home. Listen to Christian music in your car. It will lift up your spirit. It will lift up your soul. It will, uh, God inhabits the praises of his people. It will bring down the presence of God. And your awareness of God will be manifest as you're singing praises to the Lord. Put on the word of God. Read the scriptures out loud in your home. Listen to the scriptures being read out loud. And these things will set the conditions in your environment where the peace of God will abide with you as you abide with God. In Philippians... And chapter 4, and, and verse 4, Paul the Apostle says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. You know, most of what Paul wrote, he wrote from prison. He was writing these letters from prison because he was a Christian and he would not stop preaching Christ and it was illegal. And they tried to stone him to death and they beat him 
uh, many times, and he suffered greatly. He was tortured and imprisoned because he wouldn't stop preaching the gospel, and yet he had the peace of God. He later went on to be beheaded by Nero. He literally had his head chopped off uh, by the emperor, and yet he had the peace of God to write these beautiful things for us. And, and there's so much here for us, guys. Be anxious for nothing, but, but through everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and then the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. And then dwell on the things that he's saying, whatever things are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, things that are virtuous and praiseworthy, meditate on these things. You see, it's all about where we're focusing, where our minds are. He will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, and then nothing will be able to shake you and the peace of God will rule over your heart and your life. And then you will bring peace with you. You know, some people bring chaos everywhere they go. Chaos and drama follows them. It's just like wherever they go, it's like a tornado, like a whirlwind. But the opposite is true, too. You could go into a room and you could bring peace into your home, peace into your workplace, peace wherever you go. Because you have the Prince of Peace and you're surrendered to him and you're meditating upon him. He continues in verse 10, Philippians 4.10. He says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked the opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That promise of God is not in a vacuum. You have to read everything up to that point to be able to say, as Paul did, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He gives us the, the key. He gives us the tools here to get to that place where we also can say that. But you have to come to a place where you have learned to be content in whatever state you're in. He says, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, to abound and to suffer need. In other words, my circumstances are not going to determine my peace. I'm going to have peace regardless of my circumstances. And then I could stand and say, I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. So this is not anything to do with you or me, our abilities, our strength in our own flesh. This is a surrendered life to God to where you could say, no matter what happens, I am yielded to the Lord. And I will accept whatever comes my way. We, we read so many verses here and we have communion today, so this is where we're going to stop. I had more that I was going to try and cover. I'll, I'll probably get into some more of this on uh, Wednesday night of this subject. But, you know, there's things that, that we could do as we just read. We could wait on the Lord. We could seek the Lord with all our hearts. We could, we could ask the Lord and we could come to Him in prayer to answer our prayers. We could love God more than anything else and put God first, seek first the kingdom of God. Love God first. We can trust in the Lord with all of our heart and lean not on our own understanding, believing in God, believing in His Word. Remember that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So if you're lacking faith, you're not spending enough time in your Bible. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. As you know your Bible and you spend time in the Word of God and you surrender to what the Word of God is telling you, then you will have that faith that God gives you. He tells us to obey Him. James said faith without works is a dead faith. And Jesus tells us to abide in him. And as we abide in him, he will abide in us and we will bear much fruit. Trials are so difficult for us, guys, because they, they ruin our plans. They wreck our, you know, our, our own agenda. But the reality is, is trials are very, very good for us as human beings and as Christians. Because tri trials drive us to our knees. Trials drive us to God. Trials create humility in us and a lack of self-sufficiency shows us that we're not independent. We can't do it ourselves. We're not the captain of our own fate, the master of our own destiny. That's a bunch of nonsense. We're just dust. We're nothing. 
And so when you're going through trials, it forces you to reevaluate everything in light of God, in light of God's will for your life. And then oftentimes that humility leads us to prayer and leads us to sincere, honest prayer before God. And the Lord promises that when you seek him, you will find him when you have sought for him with all your heart. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the promises here in your word. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the prince of peace, that you've come to give us your peace, your shalom, and that your peace remains with us. We thank you, Lord, that the peace of God will rule over our hearts if we allow it to. We thank you, Lord God, that your peace is in spite of our circumstances, despite what we see and what we are facing, Lord God, for you are so much bigger than what we can see or understand, Lord. Help us to learn to trust you, especially during our times of trouble, Father. And we thank you, Lord, that our trials drive us to you. Our troubles purify us and refine us, Lord God, even as the fires refine the gold. We ask, God, that you would help us to stay meditated on you, Lord, that we would focus on you, that we would Seek you with all of our heart, Lord God, and as we do, that we would find you. Bless your people. Bless those who are struggling here this morning, Lord. May they know, Lord, that you are sufficient to meet their need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And we are going to prepare for communion. The uh, worship team is going to sing a song, and when they do, if you would please go grab your communion elements. They're on the back table. If you didn't get them when you came in, it's just bring one of these back and then you can open up the wafer on the bottom and then you could flip it over and open up the grape juice and just have the wafer out and the grape juice open uh, and then we will take communion together after the song. to 
John chapter 1 and verse 36, John the Baptist said, looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, behold the Lamb of God. He would say, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus Christ is the Passover Lamb. He is our atonement. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6 and 7, Paul the Apostle says this, Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. As we remember the Lord's death on the cross, which is what we do when we take the communion and we take the bread and the the juice, it reminds us, uh, as, as we remember, his sacrifice on the cross, his body broken for us, his blood shed for us. This took place on the evening of the Jewish Passover. It was the Passover where they were slaughtering all the lambs. That Jesus was there and was being falsely accused and arrested at night and falsely condemned in an illegal trial and then taken and crucified, even though he had done nothing wrong. He was innocent. Everybody said he was innocent. Pilate said, I find no fault in him. Jesus asked the Pharisees, what sin do you convince me of or convict me of? They said, no sin other than you are claiming to be the Son of God, thereby making yourself equal to God, which was true. Jesus is the Son of God, and he is equal with God. He's without sin. The centurion said, uh, this, we have crucified, we've killed uh, an innocent man as Jesus was hanging on the cross. Uh, And so Jesus was our Passover. He was killed on the evening of Passover. And this was highly significant uh, for the Jews and for the children of Israel. The Passover was that which they celebrated every year as a memorial, as a reminder of God delivering them from Egypt. And to this day, the Jewish people still remember the Passover. They still celebrate the Passover thousands of years after Moses initiated it back in the book of Exodus. And it's really interesting. Exodus chapter 12, let me read this to you. Just just listen, if you will. Exodus chapter 12, verse 1, speaking of the Passover. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be the beginning of months for you. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth day of this month, Every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. In other words, in the prime of its life. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw nor boiled at all with water. But roasted in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire, and thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night. 
and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. It's so interesting that Jesus was literally crucified on the day of the Passover. So this was something the Jews had celebrated for 1,500 years at the time that Jesus was here. And there was, at that time, the offerings of the Passover lambs. Everybody had come to Jerusalem at that time to celebrate the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, as they were commanded to do as Jewish people. Jesus was actually having the uh, unleavened bread dinner with his disciples on the night that he broke the bread and he poured the wine and gave it to them to drink and said, take, eat, this is my body, uh, and take and drink, this is my blood, which is being poured out for many for the remission of sins. That was happening on this night that the Jews were celebrating this in Jerusalem as Jesus was leaving the upper room and going into the garden of Gethsemane where he agonized with the Father and he sweated as it were drops of blood pleading with the Father if there's any other way let this cup pass from me nevertheless not my will but thy will be done he literally had to go down and through the Kidron Valley and the Kidron Brook was running with blood historians tell us at that time because that's where the blood drained from the temple and so Jesus was literally walking through in his disciples the blood of the Passover lambs as he was going to the Garden of Gethsemane to surrender himself for the sins of the world. All of this was not coincidental. This was God's plan. The Passover lamb was a picture of Jesus Christ. That's why John would say, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's interesting that Jesus came in initially riding on a donkey on the 10th day of the month. The 10th day of the month, as it says here, you're to select a lamb on the 10th day of the month. Every man take a lamb for himself according to his household. As Jesus was presented to the people, he rode in on the donkey. And remember, they said, uh, you know, hallelujah to him who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. So initially they received him. You remember he went to the temple and he overturned the money changers' tables. And he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. So he was there. He was questioned by the Pharisees and all of the people that were trying to trip him up. For that whole week, Jesus was there ministering. They could find no fault in him. They examined him and he was without spot or blemish. That's why Pilate would say, I find no fault in In him, and Pilate tried to wash his hands of the whole thing because Jesus was innocent, even as the lamb had to be without spot or without blemish. Jesus was the only man without spot or without blemish. It's interesting that on the 14th day, that is when they would take him uh, and the the lamb and they would kill the lamb in the prime of its life, one year old, the prime of its life, uh, and it would die and the blood would be applied. And the blood that was applied would be the the symbol of the cross of course they would put blood on the left and the right hand side of the door and they would put blood over the top of the door which would be the picture of the cross Jesus with his hands and his feet pierced and his head with the crown of thorns upon his head it would have been the picture of the blood of the Passover lamb that the uh, Lord passed over and spared the children of Israel everyone who applied the blood was spared the angel of death taking their firstborn. We read in verse 23 of Exodus chapter 12, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. We read in verse 46, In one house it shall be eaten. You shall not carry any of the flesh outside of the house, nor shall you break one of its bones. This was a prophecy, too, about Jesus. Remember, not one bone of his was broken as he was beaten mercilessly and tortured, and he was nailed cruelly to a cross. Not one bone of his was broken because the Passover lamb was not to have a broken bone because it was pointing to Jesus Christ. 
In Leviticus chapter 16, there's a second blood offering that was required for the nation of Israel that they were required to do. And this was the Feast of Yom Kippur. Jesus came and he fulfilled this type also. In Leviticus chapter 16 and verse 15, Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people, and bring its blood inside the veil. Do with the blood as he did with the blood of the bull, and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. So he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of the transgressions for all their sins. And so he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting, which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness." He says in verse 5, He shall take from the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats as a sin offering, one ram as a burnt offering. And, And what he was to do is he was to take one of the goats, he was to slaughter it, this is the high priest, Aaron, to take the the one goat, and to slaughter it and to carry the blood into the Holy of Holies, the very presence of God, where the Ark of the Covenant was, where man was not allowed to enter in, the very presence of God. Only once a year man was allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies. He would sprinkle the blood seven times on top of the mercy seat. This was the propitiation uh, for the sins of the nation of Israel or the uh, atonement for the sins of the nation of Israel. One goat had to die. Another goat was called the scapegoat. And the priest would confess the sins of the nation symbolically upon the scapegoat and drive it away forever into the wilderness. And the two goats were one sacrifice. Basically, the one goat died for the sins of uh, of Israel to atone for the national sins. The other goat carried the sins away forever. And this was a shadow and a type of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. His blood atoned for our sins. And he takes away our sins from us. The sin offering and the scapegoat. Isaiah 53 tells us about this uh, in, in the prophecy in Isaiah. But in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2, we're told this about Jesus. My little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father... Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. For God so loved the world, the whole world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. He is our propitiation. He is our Passover lamb. He is our Yom Kippur, our goat of atonement. He has suffered and died in our place. And it's interesting, after Jesus came and he fulfilled those prophecies, uh, the temple shortly thereafter was destroyed and the blood sacrifices have ceased in Israel since 70 AD because really Jesus came and fulfilled all of those types and all of those festivals that were pointing to him. He came in fulfillment of the prophecies. Let's go ahead and take the cup and Take the bread as we remember Christ's body broken for us and his blood shed for us on the cross this morning. Jesus, we thank you for your perfect body, your sinless life, Lord, that you were without spot and without blemish, no inherited sin and no acquired sin. You were perfect, the perfect Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. We thank you, Lord, that you surrendered to your Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. You yielded to him. You said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And then you went and you suffered and you died a terrible death because it was the will of the Father in order to sanctify and consecrate and propitiate for the sins of so many, Lord, who will trust in you. We thank you for your body, which was broken for us, Jesus. Let's go ahead and eat the bread. Lord, we thank you for your blood, which was shed, for your word tells us that the life is in the blood. And without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. We thank you, Jesus, that your blood, your life was poured out for us upon the cross. That you are our Passover lamb. 
that you have taken away the sins of the world for any and all who would cry out to you, who would trust in you, Jesus. Your blood atones for all the sins of all time, Lord God, for all those who trust in you. You are the propitiation, the atonement, the satisfaction for the wrath of God has been satisfied upon you on the cross, Lord, not just for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. Thank you for your sacrifice, Jesus. Thank you for your blood that was shed for us. Let's drink the cup. And Lord, as we have this bread and we drink this cup, Lord, may we remember your death until you return for your church, Lord. May we remember, Lord, that you are coming again. You promised that you're going to come back and you're going to take us to your Father's house someday. Help us to live in a way, Lord, that's pleasing to you. Help us, Lord God, to surrender all of our hopes, dreams, and aspirations, Lord God, at your altar, that we would just yield ourselves to you in a special way this week, and you would use us, Father. Please put your hedge of protection around us. God, keep us from evil and keep us from the evil one. Deliver us from evil, we pray, Jesus. Bless your people. Be with us this week. Strengthen and encourage us, we ask. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. We all want to thank you for listening. If this message has blessed you, as we all pray that it has, send the link to this podcast to your friends. Working together, we can get Michael's teaching of the whole of God's inerrant word to all those who hunger to hear it. If you would like to see this ministry expand to reach even more of the broken and lost, if you have questions, comments, and prayer requests, Email us at coahpodcast at gmail.com. We would be honored to pray for you, as we hope you are praying for us. Good day and God bless from City on a Hill Church, Tehachapi, California.